You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Prayers are with uh, Florida right now. And uh, let's say a prayer for them specifically here before we jump into the scripture. God, uh, we uh, all have friends and family in, in Florida. Uh, our best friends just moved there. And uh, Father, we just want to pray that you would be with, um, be with everybody there, God. I pray for minimal loss. Uh, pray that it's not as bad as everybody thinks it's going to be. Uh, I pray it's an opportunity for your kingdom to really shine as uh, people uh, kind of let go of their hang-ups or let go of their prejudices and uh, put that aside and serve each other uh, the way we saw in Houston. Uh, God, I pray it can be an opportunity for your kingdom to shine, and I pray that it would be an opportunity for people to think about you, to think about our own fragility, to think about how short life is and how not in control we are, and just want to pray that uh, that you'd be with the disciples who are there in Florida, that they would be safe and that they would be able to really uh, use this time to uh, get closer to one another, closer to you, and to reach out and for your kingdom to shine. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So if you're visiting with us, we're continuing our series. Uh, you might have no, what Return of the Elephant, what is that? So uh, we had a series last year called Elephant in the Room where we talked about uh, topics that you don't normally hear talked about in church, but they're big topics in our lives, like the elephant in the room. We're going to go ahead and talk about it. And uh, so we, we decided to do that series again. A lot of people got a lot out of it and asked us if we would do it again. So we are doing it again. So we're calling it the Return of the Elephant. Return of the Elephants. Uh, those of you who are Star Wars fans will recognize that font from Return of the Jedi. Um, so I wanted to uh, start off with a few elephant jokes. If you're, if you're an older person, you might know elephant jokes were once a big genre, a uh, cutting edge thing. Uh, so for the young people, you can, you can bring it back, right? You can tell your friends elephant jokes. I want to give you a few of them. What's convenient and weighs 20,000 pounds? You don't have to repeat it, but what is it? It's an elephant six-pack. That was, that was bad. Get it? There's six of them. Elephant six-pack. Okay. It's convenient because they're, you know, whatever. If you have to explain it, it's no good, I know. Why couldn't the two elephants go swimming together? Because they only had one pair of trunks. These are bad. I'm, I'm not saying they're good. There were two elephants under one umbrella. Why didn't they get wet? Because it wasn't raining. She knows that one. Good job. What's the difference between a dozen eggs and an elephant? If you don't know, I'm sure not going to send you to the store for a dozen eggs. Oh, man. This is, this is bad. Rough crowd. How do you prevent an elephant from charging? Take away his credit card. There you go. You guys are catching on. What is large, gray, and wears glass slippers? Cinder elephants. Okay, only two, two or three more. They might get better. Where are elephants found? Elephants are so big, they're hardly ever lost. What did the elephant say when he got caught in the revolving door? If this place wants to do more business with elephants, they better get a bigger door. I don't know. That's an odd one. I like odd ones. What do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? 
and irrelevant. Okay, last one. Last one. I, I bought my friend an elephant for his room. He said, thanks. I said, don't mention it. You got to think about that one for a minute. Don't mention it. There you go. All right. So the topic today is politics. Politics is our elephant in the room. And some of you are like, oh, yeah, I love politics. Some of you are like, oh, I hate politics. And, um, you know, we have differences of opinion. We have differences about this stuff. Uh, you know, Mark, our keyboard player, loves to talk about politics. And he even, he, oh, what's the topic today, politics? And then he gives me a little political zinger, you know. Uh, he, lo- he loves it. Some people love it. Some people hate it. Uh, and, and, and depending on how you, you know, kind of come down on things, you might enjoy watching politics on TV. I'm going to show you a little clip. This is nothing recent, but I just want to show you a little clip of what I think about when I think about talking about politics here. It's not burning across in front of a, a synagogue. You are insulting people's religious views. Well, you're not insulting their, their, uh, their national views, their patriotism when you burn the flag. You live in a country where I can't insult your national views. Well, what about my religious I think your politics views? are crazy. Should I go to jail for that? You might have differences of, of feeling. You can hardly even hear what they were saying, right? That's kind of what I think about when I think about polit- talking about politics, people yelling at each other, people talking past each other. Uh, you know, this is from a show in the 90s uh, called uh, Crossfire. Uh, people get on there and argue with each other. You know, when I, as I was growing up, when I was a kid, when I would hear something like that, see something like that on TV, it just made me so anxious and stressed out. And uh, part of it is, I think, I'm, I'm by nature a conflict avoider, especially when I was young. Uh, when I would have a conflict with someone, I, I might, I'm kind of emotional, so I would get, I would sometimes burst into tears. And I was so embarrassed by that. You know, like in middle school when you're having a conflict and then you just start crying and you feel like such an idiot that you're, so like, I just, I just wanted to avoid conflict because I might cry, <laughs> you know? Uh, and so I just learned to just, I don't want any conflict and, and just try to keep it, keep it steady, keep it easy. Uh, but then as I've grown up and as I've matured and, you know, you've got to deal with conflict. That's part of life. And I've tried to learn how to be more level headed and handle conflict better and keep my cool. And so these days I actually kind of enjoy watching politics. I enjoy watching how people are able to keep their cool. Uh, I don't watch a lot of politics, but I do uh, record meet the press every Sunday. Uh, and then I watch it, you know, usually when I'm, while I'm doing chores Sunday night or Monday morning or something. And I like it because it's kind of an overview of the week. And depending on where you stand, you might think, oh, that's such a liberal show or that's such this show. or whatever. I don't know. I, it seems a little balanced to me. I like how Chuck Todd, whoever he has on, he asks some really hard questions, whatever side they're on. You know what I mean? Whatever, wherever they are, he has some tough questions. But one thing I enjoy is watching the politicians, uh, and this might make you crazy, but I kind of enjoy it. I, I love watching the art of the pivot. Because they come on the show and they have the things they want to talk about. And no matter what Chuck Todd asks, well, it's interesting you should ask that. And then they say whatever it is they wanted to say. You know what I mean? Uh, and they, they're so good at it. And they don't get riled up almost ever. But they're really good at just kind of sticking on message, sticking on message. Uh, okay, it's interesting you asked me about it. If we, 
if you do this, and then sometimes it's even really creative, the way they take whatever the question was and turn it into whatever they were going to say. And Chuck Todd will be like, you're not asking my question. And they're like, no, I am asking your question. You ask this. Well, here's my answer. And then it's whatever they you know, want to talk about. Well, there's a, uh, there's a story in the Bible where Jesus was asked a tough question. And it was for the purpose of catching him, getting a gotcha moment. And that's what they want on those shows. You know, what, what Chuck Todd wants is a gotcha moment. And then that gotcha moment will go viral, you know, like, like that uh, alternative facts. You know, we've heard that alternative facts thing. That was a gotcha moment that Chuck Todd had, and then it became this meme or whatever, you know, all this stuff. So they're looking for that. And that's what, what people came to with Jesus. They were looking to catch him in his words. Mark 12. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. And we're going to kind of dig into this passage here in Mark 12, if you want to go ahead and turn over there. Um, but... I don't know about you, but I would hate to, to have people coming to me who are trying to catch me in my words. Have you ever had somebody at work maybe like that or at school that they're just looking for you to slip up? Oh, my gosh, I hate that. I hate being around people like that. It's like, leave me alone. But Jesus was constantly surrounded by people looking to trip him up. And here these, these guys come to him. And they, it's interesting. It says the Herodians and the Pharisees, these are two opposing sides of a political spectrum in Jesus's time and a particular political issue in Jesus's time. Um, so as we, I'm going to say a prayer before we start reading this, but as we dig into this, I really believe we can learn something as disciples, as Christians. If you're a Christian today, or if you're interested in Christianity, we can learn something about how Jesus handled politics and what that should mean for us and how we handle politics as his followers. Uh, So that's what we're going to talk about today. So let's pray, and then we'll look into this story here in Mark 12. God, thank you to be able to open your uh, scriptures. Thank you for the way that uh, they are timeless. And uh, we really believe that the scriptures contain the story of of you and your work in the world and your plan for all nations and all people, as we just sang about. And uh, Father, thank you to be able to open your, your word. I pray you'd speak to all of us through your Holy Spirit right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So verse 13, later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. We're looking in verse 13. They came to him and said, teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. What's that called? Buttering up, right? You can tell when somebody's doing that to you sometimes, you know. Oh, you are so this and you're so that. It's like, oh, wait wait a minute. You know, if you're cynical like me, where are you going with this? They're buttering him up. Oh, we know you're this and you're that. So then they get to the, the big question. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. So as I mentioned, these are are two sides of the political issue. The Herodians were in league with the Romans. They were going along with the Romans. They believed, okay, Roman rule is okay. It's, maybe it's part of God's plan. We're going to go along and work with the Romans. It's right to pay the tax to Caesar. The, the Pharisees were totally opposed to Roman rule. They wanted an end to Roman rule. They were looking for the kingdom of God to come in and, and destroy the Romans. And they totally were opposed to this tax that, that was paid. And what this tax was, 
is a, a, a head tax, a, a, a tax on every person that was paid yearly. Uh, it wasn't a lot of money. It was about uh, one day's wages for an unskilled laborer. So it might be the way we might, you know, in this world today, we might think about a $10 bill or something. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was the principle of it that you, you're, you're having to pay this to Caesar uh, just to, because it's like I'm paying for the privilege of being under Caesar's rule. You know, is basically what, what it was, the imperial tax. And uh, the, the background here, there was a guy just 25 years before this named Judas of Galilee. You can Google Judas of Galilee if you want to hear more about, uh, learn more about this guy, Judas the Galilean. And he, had, he was completely opposed to this tax, and he started a movement against it, and he, he believed you should not pay this tax. And it's interesting, he uh, called for the kingdom of God to come, that the God's kingdom was coming and going to overthrow the Romans. We should not pay this tax. He cleansed the temple of, of all the money changers, and, uh, and he had an armed revolt against the, the Romans. And, of course, he was killed, and his movement went away. But you see some parallels with Jesus there. Jesus, his whole ministry was about the kingdom of God. Everything he, he talked about, all of his parables were about the kingdom of God. He cleansed the temple as well. This, right before this time, this is recorded in all three, uh, Matthew, Mark, and John, I mean uh, Luke. Uh, and, and, and so it's almost like they're saying, okay, you claim to be a revolutionary. You cleanse the temple. You're proclaiming the kingdom of God. Are you going to have an armed revolt? Are you going along with what Judas the Galilean did? Are you a real revolutionary? And, and they're trying to catch him because whichever way he comes down on this issue, he's going to alienate you know, a huge part of the populace. Or, or, and, and it's like they're saying, are you really a revolutionary? And Jesus' answer is so interesting. Verse 17, Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. His answer is not just a pivot, but his answer goes to the question, but it, it takes it in a different direction, and that is, it, it transcends the question. It's like he's saying, I'm a revolutionary, but I'm not the kind of revolutionary that you expected. I'm a different kind of revolutionary. Because their, their response, they're not frustrated with him. Oh, he didn't answer the question. What does it say? They're amazed at him. Because he really did answer the question. Now, the, the coin that they were uh, showing, or that he asked for, is this one here. Um, it, it had Tiberius Caesar on there, and the inscription was "Son of God, uh, Caesar Augustus, Son of Caesar Augustus, God, and High Priest." And so this this inscription is saying, you know, and, and this was his silver. So when Jesus says, "Give to Caesar what is Caesar's," he's like, "Okay, give that to Caesar." And the, the word he uses when he says "give pay back" or "give back," it's a different word. They said, "Should we pay this tax?" The word, the Greek word they use. Is like a tribute. Should we give this tribute to Caesar? And he purposely doesn't use that word. He says, no, you should pay back. So in our, in our English, it's give or pay back. But it, it carries a different meaning in, in the Greek that, that basically this is just you're returning something. It's not I'm paying tribute. It's not I'm worshiping. It's not I'm honoring. I'm lifting up. It's oh, I'm just giving back what he what is his. But then he says... You should give to God what is God's. What has God's inscription on it? What belongs to God? So you're not you're 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 uh, you're going along with the plan in a sense, but you're not giving your true allegiance. You're not giving your true honor. You're you're not you're you're saying okay, I'm going to go along with it, but my real honor, my real uh, 
allegiance and, and the true authority is God. So he answers the question, but in a way of not, of not giving, kind of going along, but not giving Caesar all glory and honor, and, and he's the God, and he should be praised. It's no, God is God. Yeah, you go along with Caesar, and he's got his plan that belongs to him, but really he's just this petty little thing, and God is the God of all the universe, is kind of what his, his answer is saying in one little phrase. Uh, the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, vastly surpasses any kingdom of this world. The kingdom of God is, is more powerful than any movement or any nation of human beings. Uh, and so I want to show you uh, some verses that are consistent with this in Jesus' ministry. You can just look on the screen for these. Uh, in John, the early part of John's ministry, Jesus was doing all these miracles, or in Jesus' ministry, as recorded in John, early part of his ministry, it says, When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This has to be the prophet who was to come. Therefore, when Jesus knew they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Another place in John, it says, Jesus wouldn't entrust himself to men because he knew what was in men. So here, they're, they're trying to, to take control. They're trying to make Jesus king by force. They're trying to make him an earthly king, and he steps away and goes, no, no, that's not my agenda. So you see that he, he's not willing to go along with political movements of men. Uh, a little bit later in his ministry... Uh, towards the end, John 18, My kingdom is not of this world, said Jesus. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight, so I wouldn't be handed over to the Jews. As it is, my kingdom does not have its origin here. Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. And so if we are his followers, if we are going to you know, follow in his footsteps, should our kingdom be of this world? No, we should, we're, we're citizens of the kingdom of God. And so we have a dual citizenship. Yeah, we belong here, we live here, we want to do our best here, we want to, you know, contribute to society, but we are a part of the kingdom of God advancing on earth and spreading. And we, you know, if you're visiting with us in South Bay Church, we really want to make a difference in our city. Um, you know, the, the age of enlightenment and some of the, the these people like John Locke and, and uh, these enlightenment thinkers, they had a new idea of the kingdom of God as being just purely... Um, kind of a feeling-oriented or an intellectual thing. Like the kingdom of God is, oh, I feel better. Or, I'm living for God myself, and, I, and God's peace rules in my heart. But we believe it's more than that. Yeah, that's part of it, but it, you're also making a difference in the world. You know, when Jesus was on earth, he wasn't an earthly king. He had no army. He had no government. He wrote no law, and yet the poor were, uh, were clothed. The sick were healed. The dead were raised. Uh, Jesus did real things about poverty. Jesus did real things about injustice in the world. And so we believe it, it, it's both. It's God's rule in our hearts, but we're also making a difference in the world. And how are we going to make a difference in the world, particularly in this area of pol- politic, politics, the political uh, realm? How can we make a difference as disciples? I want to share uh, three things that I think can make a difference. Discipleship, diversity, and dialogue. So discipleship, first of all, is we should go along with Jesus' plan. We, can't, we, we should not put something on politics that Jesus didn't put on politics. We shouldn't uh, put Jesus in a political box that he never put himself in. And so, you know, here it, Paul says to Timothy, Join me with suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Paul is saying, if you're a soldier, you, you are working for the government and working for your, 
commanding officer, you, you kind of put everything in a certain lens. And you're not going to get entangled in civilian affairs because you have a job to do. And as soldiers of Christ, as disciples of Christ, we should have that same mentality. My first primary objective is to the kingdom of God and to his rule. And so does that mean don't be involved in civilian affairs at all? Should I, are you saying I should not be involved in politics? That's not what I'm saying. But I would say you shouldn't be entangled in politics to where politics is becoming more important than the kingdom of God. Uh, you know, but our allegiance is first and foremost to Jesus. Uh, another scripture here when it comes to being a, a disciple. Uh, this is amazing. Paul's perspective here, the same guy who wrote the last verse in Romans 13. He says, let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. You know, this is kind of a staggering verse to come from Paul, who himself was executed by the Roman government. And it just shows you Paul's complete trust in God and his plan. Like, if that's part of God's plan, if that's going to bring about the kingdom of God, if that's going to bring about what God wants on the earth, amen, so be it. God is in control. You, you have a sense of, from Paul that God is in control. Paul was what we would call today an Old Testament scholar. And if there's any theme of the whole Old Testament, it's that God rules the nations. God is in control over every nation, not just the nation of Israel, but all nations. And that can be hard to believe sometimes. And yet Paul trusted that God is sovereign over all kingdoms and all nations. He is transcendent. He is unique. He's not just, the kingdom of God is not just one among kingdoms. The Old Testament says it, the kingdom of God will bring all other kingdoms to an end. And it itself will endure forever. So Paul was living by faith. And that caused him to be willing to kind of go along with the plan. Like Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar. Paul was willing to give to Caesar what is Caesar. Was his allegiance to Caesar? Absolutely not. But he says, but I'm going to trust that God's in control. And so I'm not going to rebel against that authority because I trust that God has a bigger plan than me and, and my little life. And, uh, and he was living by faith. In Hebrews 11, when it talks about people who live by faith, it says, uh, it says this, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they'd left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared a city for them. You know, I really believe as disciples of Christ, we are looking forward to a heavenly country. It doesn't mean we don't love our country. It doesn't mean we don't serve our country. It doesn't mean we don't care about our country. But it means we're longing for a better one. Again, we have a dual citizenship as disciples of Jesus. And, uh, and so we can't allow issues of this world, particularly in our church, to divide us. And, and, and that can happen if we're not careful. Yeah. Satan wants nothing more than divide to divide and to separate brother and sister from one another, brother from brother, sister from sister, over issues of politics or, or race, racial harmony or these, these, these important issues, but we can't let them divide us. Uh, you know, it, it came out just this week, if you didn't hear about it, that uh, 
you probably saw this on the news, that face, we found out that Facebook was uh, taking ads and, and, and showing ads that were paid for by a Russian company uh, that had the complete purpose of sowing, uh, diver, uh, you know, sowing division in our country. And so they would particularly pick issues that were divisive and put false lies on Facebook. Advertisements that were falsehoods. They paid uh, Facebook, I think, $150,000, you know, over time for these ads uh, for the purpose of dividing our country. And when I thought about that, you know, it made me think there's 470 fake, fake, fake Facebook profiles. 470 fake Facebook profiles or pages for this purpose. And it just made me think about, isn't that what Satan does? You know, he, Jesus says he's the father of lies. And so he'll just insert a lie there that has some truth to it or maybe a, a little, you know, taste of truth, but it's a little this way or it's a little that way. And just to try to get us to divide amongst each other. We, we can't let Satan do that. And so we've got to celebrate our diversity. You know, the second thing, our diversity... Philippians 3.20 says our citizenship is in heaven and we eagerly wait a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. What do citizens of heaven look like? Are they, you know, old? Are they young? Are they, you know, what color are they? What What language do they speak? You know, isn't it every nation? Isn't it every tongue? Isn't it every language? Isn't it every race? Isn't it every kingdom, every culture? You know, we, yeah, we are Americans. I love America, but heaven is not American. Heaven is all nations, all people. And so we've got to celebrate our diversity, even when sometimes we can't understand somebody else's viewpoint or where they're coming from. I just think it makes us better. You can hold your own viewpoint and thoroughly explore the viewpoint of another. You can still, it's not, you're not letting go of what you think. By living in the world of somebody else's viewpoint. That's really handy in marriage. You know, there's a lot of guys I know that they shut their wives down. I'm the leader of this family and this is what we're doing. You know, kind of shut it down, whatever she's saying. And, you know, I'll tell brothers sometimes, bro, you you aren't making a decision by just listening to everything she has to say. Okay, she says this. Okay, what I hear you saying, honey, is this. Is that right? No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying this. Okay, so what you're saying is that, you know, you can spend a lot of time on her viewpoint and you still haven't made a decision yet about whatever it is, right? And a lot of times you go, oh, you know what? You're right. That's way better. <laughs> I'm going with your plan. But, but sometimes as guys, we're too, we don't even want to go there. We, we're, we just want to hang on to our own viewpoint. And yet diversity is good. And different ideas are good. And here's, here's the thing that you might find shocking. Okay, you ready? Don't, I'm not a... I'm not anathema, okay? You can be a disciple and be on either side of the political spectrum on various issues. You can be a disciple and be on various... Why? Because there's there's different issues that you find support in the Bible for. Right? And there's room for it. Like, like Steve said, I mean, you could pick an issue like, okay, let's say the environment. Could you make a case from the Bible that we should be good to our environment? Absolutely. Uh, so that, that might be associated with one particular side of the political spectrum, depending on how you think about things. Uh, could you make a biblical case that abortion is wrong? Absolutely. And that, you know, the abortion and, and, and abortion rights, 
you know, that has a place on the political spectrum. Could you make a case for racial harmony and equality in the Bible? Absolutely. And so there are these issues that, you know, you can find support in the Bible for, but then we have to be careful if we align those with one particular party or one particular political movement. We say, this is the, this is the way to go. We have to be careful of that. You know, I, I taught a class last summer at the REACH conference. Um, it was a, for those of you who are visiting, we had a conference for all of our North American churches. We're a part of a fellowship of churches around the world, 600 plus churches and 150 nations plus. So we're an international family of churches. But this was a, a, a conference for the North American churches, and I was asked to teach a class on evidences. And uh, I'm not even sure how they found out that I was into it or asked me to do it. But I, I'm not a scientist. I'm a musician and an artist, but I love science. Apologetics is kind of a little hobby of mine. So I, I look at all this evidences stuff or apologetics as kind of a fan from the viewpoint of a fan. But anyway, I, I, I wrote a, a, a paper on it, and I put this class together. And I got an email uh, a little bit after that I wanted to share with you uh, from a, a sister. She says, I was listening to your evidences lesson from Reach. So she heard the, the audio online. Very good. I have a BS in geology and geophysics with three years in graduate school in engineering geology. This just to know that I've been heavily involved in the sciences for a long time. I pursued my education as a disciple, and everything I learned only built my faith. God used me to bring a Ph.D. professor of structural geology and volcanology to a point of studying the Bible and getting baptized. All this you understand my background. I was a bit offended by your comment about this person's politics. Somebody I shared in the class. Enough to cause me to look you up and contact you. I'm intensely political and I've been following his politics for over a decade. So, brother in Christ, please refrain from saying your opinion about someone's politics right after playing clips of famous intellectuals being condescendent toward believers. Slightly hypocritical, if you ask me, and left a sour taste for me. Your opinion of his politics being over the top is your opinion. His politics, in my view, are spot on. He spent eight months in jail due to them. Please stick to your topic of evidences and leave your political opinions out so young minds you're influencing can figure politics out on their own without you injecting your opinion in their heads. I appreciate what you do in teaching evidences classes. And you do a good job. So, you know, I, I got that email. I was like, whoa, I, I don't even remember. And what I said, and I, then I, I did remember. So there's this one author... He writes phenomenal uh, apologetics books, but he's also, he's very, very, very opinionated politically, and he's uh, very, very active. And he, he says some things that are very, very strong politically about particular leaders. And so I think I said something in the class like, what I thought I was trying to say was, I love his apologetic stuff, his political stuff is, I think I said, over the top. But I see what she's saying, that that is a political judgment I made right there. So I never, ever, ever should have said that. Uh, and so it was good. But, but, but my point is, so I emailed her back. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Here's what I was trying to say, but I could totally see how you could take it this way. And I tried to just be humble. And I said, you know, you're, you, I said, particularly what you said about being hypocritical, that, was, that really stung me because I don't want to be a uh, hypocrite. And then so she emailed back saying, okay, I really appreciate your humble response. And what I meant by hypocritical is that, you know, these... You were playing, and what I was, I played some clips of atheists who are so condescending and so mean and so like down on believers. You know, you, you know who I'm talking about, Richard Dawkins or some of these guys that are just like, you have to be an idiot to believe, be a believer, basically. So I played some of those clips, but then I said something about somebody, 
that to her view was very judgmental. And so, was, so that I was being hypocritical. So I was like, hey, man, I'm so glad you told me. And so I emailed back, we emailed back and forth, and her tone changed a lot. And, but I, I love that, you know, we were able to, I mean, we were able to come to total unity on the thing. And I learned from it. I have to be really careful, especially in my position as a, as a preacher, of being political. I don't want to be political. I want to be like Jesus and how he was so uh, careful to really focus on the kingdom of God and not let himself get caught up in politics. Um, so a couple more uh, verses I want to show you and, uh, on this, and then we'll, we'll hit the last point here. Uh, Since then you've been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things, for you died, your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Are you saying I shouldn't care about this world? Are you saying I shouldn't care about what's happening? No. But the Bible does say this is where our main focus should be, right? Uh, so, last thing, dialogue. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. That's a good one. You know, we got to be careful not to to get caught into things that are just quarrels that aren't really accomplishing anything. And so, you know, what, how do we approach things? Um, I, I want to show you a few verses that help me with how should I process things. And, uh, and then I'll, I'll share one more uh, thing before we take communion. Uh, Titus 3 says, Remind people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one. And to be peaceable and considerate, always be gentle toward everyone. So whatever you think politically, you've got to put it through this filter. Be peaceful, be considerate, not get into arguments, not get riled up. That's hard sometimes if we think really strongly about something. I urge then, first of all, that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful, quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior, who wants all men to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. So this tells me we should know what's going on politically, right? We should know what's going on in the world because this says we're supposed to pray about it. We're supposed to pray for those in authority. We're supposed to pray for our leaders why? Because God wants everyone to be saved, so we want, we want peace in the world. We want the gospel to be able to spread. We want there to be unity and harmony in our world. Submit to every human authority because of the Lord, Peter says, whether the emperor as a supreme authority or the governors, those that sent out by him, and, you know, on and on. I don't have time to read all of it. But this is, again, amazing because the, the, the emperor that was in charge at the time Peter wrote this was Nero. And that is, he is, I mean, you study the history, he is an awful dude. He was horrible to the Christians. And yet, you know, Peter says he's the supreme authority. I trust God. God is bigger than Nero. God is sovereign. That's that's an upward call. So before we take communion, you know, Jesus himself, he, when when he, what he, when he was pointing to this uh, inscription, to this uh, coin, it, it, it's a kind of neat parallel there because, first of all, he didn't even have one. He says, bring me a denarius. And it's not a lot of money. It's, it's a one day's wage for somebody poor, unskilled laborer. He, so he says, bring me one. So he doesn't even have one. And then what is the inscription? It's son of God, high priest. Jesus himself was the son of God. Jesus himself was the son of God, high priest. And what a contrast between this guy, Tiberius, who had all the money in the world, all the power in the world, 
And yet a lot of people don't even know who he is. And, and Jesus, who didn't even have a denarius, didn't even have a, a $10 bill or a dollar bill or whatever it was. You know, what a contrast. And it just tells me that the values of this world are not the values of the kingdom of God. The values of Jesus and his ministry are not the values of this world. And that's just a good reminder as we take communion that we serve a king who was penniless. We serve a king who was homeless. We serve a king who, why? Because his kingdom was not of this world. He gave everything away. You know, what the world values, human governments, is power, authority, uh, influence, money. Uh, and, but we see that worldly movements don't work. Even with the best of intentions. You know, Karl Marx, he didn't intend for 25 million people to die in Russia when he wrote his, his, his work. You know, he really wanted equality. He really wanted community. And yet it doesn't work without God. But the kingdom of God that Jesus brought that was launched when he rose from the dead is the kingdom that will change eternity, as we sang about. It is for all nations. It is for all people. It is for every uh, every one of us and it's for everyone that's in the south bay and so it's good to be reminded of that and as we take the the bread and as we take the the fruit of the vine let's remember jesus's body and his blood and what it costs for us to have this kingdom for us to be a part of this movement and uh that we can be forgiven of all our sins and that we can share that with others let's pray for communion god thank you to be able to worship you today thank you to be able to sing about your kingdom and to be reminded that it's an upside-down kingdom. Uh, God, we remember the scripture that says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so we might become the righteousness of God. You know, God, we believe that you really did stoop down and make us great on the cross. We do believe that by his wounds we are healed. And that is why we worship. That is why we're here today. Uh, That's why we take communion today uh, together to remember his body and his blood given for us. Uh, Thank you that we could belong to you because of Jesus and who he is and what he did on the cross for us. Thank you that he rose from the dead to show that there is a new kingdom coming. There is a new heaven and earth in store for us, those who believe. And uh, help us to recommit ourselves to that right now as we await his coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.